I'm going to ask you to turn this morning to Genesis 21. And uh, when you find it, please, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, I'm not going to go as far as uh, it says in the bulletin I was intending to originally. And uh, then I meant to go back and change the bulletin, but I didn't get it, get it done. So we're going to actually read, I'm going to read through verses 7, 1 through 7. And that's what we're going to look at primarily this morning. And Lord willing, pick up from there next time. There's just a lot here. So one of the things you struggle with, you know, and any kind of preparation for um, speaking on the Bible is you, you, you like to get as much as possible, I mean, you, because you want to get things in context, so you like to take in a whole story. But uh, then there's so much there, <laughs> it makes it hard to do. So, so, uh, so we're going to look at a little small portion this morning, relatively small. Um, Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again today for your grace. As we were just singing about, grace in saving sinners. A wretch like me. Father, we want to acknowledge that we are indeed sinners and that apart from your grace, we would have no hope. And we want to acknowledge your power, your saving power, and your power to change us and conform us to the image of your Son. We acknowledge your lordship over all things, and in particular, your people. And Father, we pray that you empower us to reflect that, that submission to you and to who you are by our living. Empower us to live the lives you have called us to live, we pray. And may our lives truly bear witness to our confession that we are believers, meaning that we trust in you. And may it all be for your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Men can be seated. Simple title today, right? Believe God. That's important. It's not just important for us to proclaim 
And, and it is important for us to proclaim to the world because the world needs to obey that command uh, or demand, and, and that is exactly what it is. Uh, when, uh, when, when the Lord calls for repentance, it's not a suggestion, it's a demand. Um, but it's not only important for us to proclaim to the world that mandate, believe God. It's important for us as Christians as well to, um, to, to seek by God's grace to make that true in our own lives. In other words, um, we are Christians, obviously, because God has saved us by His grace through faith, which is belief. But at the same time, when you get in um, individual circumstances and you're faced with things in your life, sometimes we don't believe like we ought to believe. Uh, in particular situations. And we may not trust God like we should in a, in a particular situation. I think everybody can identify with that. And we see that. Um, we have seen that um, repeatedly as well in the life of Abraham. And I'm glad that, you know, we've said this many times, but I'm glad that the Lord chose to show us uh, the mistakes and the failures <laughs> of people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, or New Testament. You think of people like Peter and so forth. Thankfully, the Lord put those things down in black and white for us so we would understand that um, we have a struggle in this life. Um, but, and this is one of the main things I want us to see this morning, God is faithful in bringing us to where He wants us to be. God is faithful to His Word. Now, I, I put a little... Uh, this is actually... I, I actually put this as a subtitle, too, so it's in your bulletin. But th- that's my summation sentence for today. God protects His promises and provides for His people. Or you could say it this way. God protects His promises and in doing so, provides for His people. And what I'm trying to do there is, is um, help us to understand the significance. I mean, it's one thing to say, God protects His promises, or, or like we've been saying, God is able, and that's what I mean by protecting His promises, I mean that He's able to make sure they come to pass. So it's one thing to say that, God protects His promises. That doesn't sound real personal, but it is because in doing that, He provides for His people, which means He provides for you and I on a personal level. So just think of it and, let, you know, just... Big terms here. God's Word is true. And that has specific um, implications for you and I in our daily living. God protects His promises and in doing so provides for His people. Now, the way we're looking at this morning, um, the way we're looking at that statement this morning is, is two ways. First, in the immediate context of our text here, what does he do? He, he has promised Abraham offspring, right? And what we're seeing in the text today, of course, we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and there's good reason for that. It's not just that we were delayed in getting to this point in our, uh, in our study, but God actually delayed it, right, for some 25 years uh, so you can imagine how Abraham and Sarah felt while they were waiting, waiting, waiting for this promise 
to come to pass. And just to recap that a little bit, you think back in Genesis 12, um, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, God gives the promises to Abraham, and He promises Abraham seed or offspring. And we're told in Genesis 12, 4, that Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he moved to Haran, and then God called Abram out of Haran when he was 75 years old and gives him this promise of a son of seed. And so here's just a little bit of a timeline. Then in Genesis 16... Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Now, there was a a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. And that was when Abram was 86 years old. So already 11 years had passed, and obviously uh, he had grown impatient, right? And they tried to make the promise come to pass, make it happen, by Abraham taking the maidservant of his wife and having a child with her. And that was Hagar, and the child's name was Ishmael. So he was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And then in Genesis 17, we're told Abram was 99 years old. This is 17.1. Abram was 99 years old um, when the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then in Genesis 17.17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? So here God is reiterating the promise. In fact, he's telling him within a year, you know, this is going to happen. And Abraham says, Shall a child be born to a man man who is a hundred years old? And uh, shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So they've been waiting twenty-five years years since the promise was initially made. So, so we've been talking about that uh, and that delay for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And now you get to chapter 21, verse 5. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So the answer to his question was yes. <laughs> the, question in, in the question that he asked was, shall a child be born? To a man 100 years old, and the answer is yes. God is, God is able to do that. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, no. So there was a promise made. You're going to have seed. In fact, uh, you know, as, as we've talked about, as, as it went on, there was a little more detail given. You're going to have seed, and they're innumerable, like the sand that's on the seashore or like the stars in the sky. And through you, through you, Abraham, and through your seed, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth, are going to be blessed. Now, Lord willing, I'm going to come back to that a little later on. So just remember that because um, Paul alludes to that in Galatians and uh, calls it the preaching of the gospel. The, the, the gospel was preached to Abraham by the Spirit of God. And, and that's what Paul is referring to. When he was told, when Abraham was told that all nations were going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham. 
Okay. Um, and by the way, in 15.6, that's when um, we're told Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. All right? So, so there's a promise made. And now we see there's a promise kept. God keeps his promises. Um, again, remember Genesis 18:14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In fact, let, let me just give you a few verses here because I want to I want to emphasize this. Um, even though people quote this kind of thing all the time and say, you know, God, with God all things are possible. Um, it's good to be reminded. Jeremiah 32:27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Virtually the same rhetorical question that you have in Genesis 18:14. And of course, the answer implied, the answer is no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Matthew 19:26, Jesus says, "With man this is impossible." But with God, all things are possible. Now, he's talking about salvation there, and specifically the salvation of a, of a rich man. Um, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to, to be saved. Um, and then, and of course, what I want us to get here is that second part, mainly, where he says, with God, all things are possible. So, can God save a rich person, well, in that context, exactly what Jesus is saying is absolutely. With God, all things are possible. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now, last Sunday when I preached out at the prison, um, I, I talked about that, uh, except I was preaching out of Mark 10, uh, but it's the same, same story. And so I, so I made the point with them that actually that's true of salvation, period. Not just for the rich, but for anybody, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mark 10, 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Uh, now I'm, the reason I'm putting a little emphasis on that is because uh, a lot of times we are weak in our anthropology. <laughs> in other words, the, our view of man um, is very complementary toward men. And I'm not talking about just males. I mean human beings. Our view of human beings is way too high. And so it's good for us to get the kind of view that Jesus had, which is realistic, and understand that for us to be saved is really an impossibility. But the good news of the gospel is, and this is what the, the Bible is really shouting all the way through, with God, all things are possible, and therefore, salvation is possible with God. In other words, He can do what we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves, but God can save us. And then you could take, as a Christian, you could take that a little further. Because a lot of times in our own, um, 
I'll say it a little further. Actually, this is part of the saving process. But in our own experience as Christians, we get frustrated by our lack of progress. And we look at our lives and we think, I don't know, you, you, maybe you think back to a time a year ago or five years ago or whatever, and you look at your life now and you think, um, I'm, I'm not where I ought to be as a Christian. I, I, I don't feel like I'm progressing, or at least not like I should. And so let me just encourage you this morning by saying that that's because it is impossible with man. It's it's impossible. But take heart. In other words, don't put faith in self. Believe God. Because with God, all things are possible. And so God is not depending on um, our initiative, our cleverness, our determination, our strength, our wisdom... God is not depending on any of those things to get the job done. So, when He makes a promise, it it depends on His own power and will. And with Him, all things are possible. And I think that's, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at in John 14 when He says, Take heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Because He not only makes promises, He fulfills them. And in doing that, He provides for His people. So, you think of Think of the whole salvation process, calling and regeneration and sanctification, all the way through to final glorification. God is is promising the end from the beginning, and He's able to get us there. He's able to do it. And with Him... Nothing is impossible. So he he made a promise. In this case, it was that Abraham would have a child, a son specifically, by Sarah. That's another um, specific uh, of the promise. Not just by anybody, you know, Hagar or whatever, but or, or anybody else. But he would have a son by Sarah, and through that seed, oh, it would it it would be multiplied. So. So that Abraham would be called the father of nations. And through that seed, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, obviously, some of that happens in stages, right? So so here's the first stage. You've got to start with with the son being born. And he's been promising this son for 25 years now. He's here. And I love, it seems like uh, Moses is trying to be emphatic here in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. 
And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, right? I mean, Moses being a little emphatic. God kept his word. He visited Sarah as he said. He did to her as he had promised. God keeps his promises. So it's a promise kept. And she bore a son to Abraham. Now remember, again, that was one of the specifics. And so that is clear here, uh, or is made clear here. Uh, in fact, look at verse 2. It doesn't just say, Sarah bore a son. It says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. So th- the child was promised to Abraham and Sarah, even though here he is 100 years old and she's 90 years old. That was the, that was the requirement. That was the, f- the fulfillment that was promised. So it's happened now. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Notice that. Whom, and then there's emphasis, uh, whom Sarah bore him. So, so he's, again, he's highlighting that. God gave Abraham a son by Sarah. Sarah bore a son to Abraham. So it's not even, um, I mean, it's just clear. It's not even like, uh, it's not like it was a, uh, an event like the birth of, the, or the conception of Jesus, rather. Uh, where the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived. Here, God, when it, when it says in verse 1, He did to Sarah as He had promised. That is, He granted her conception by Abraham, specifically fulfilling the promise. In verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him, there it is again, I have borne him, that is Abraham, a son in his old age. Promise made, a promise kept. And by the way, my focus is going a little different than than this, but I want to mention this, not pass over it without mentioning it. Um, Notice how she talks about it in verse uh, 6. God has made laughter for me. I just, I like that. (laughs) That's just good. That's good. God has made me laugh in my old age. And and I think, it's interesting, the word is used here in the text, um, I think in two different ways. Uh, I think here she's using it in a positive way. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. In other words, I think she's, what she's saying is God has brought joy to me in my old age, and, and everybody who, who hears about this is, is just going to experience some of this joy. Or, or you know, it's, it's going to be, um, it's gonna be um, a reason for laughter for them. But you get a little further down where it talks about um, Ishmael mocking. Um, it's the same word, but um, in a negative, with a, with a negative connotation. Uh, and, and that's usually the way it's translated in the, in the, you know, in our versions, and I think correctly so. So, uh, so Ishmael is not laughing with joy along with Sarah because. Uh, she has conceived in her old age. Ishmael is mocking Isaac. 
but it is the same word. It can mean laughter or, or, or the idea. It can be the, the idea of laughing with or the idea of laughing at in a mocking sort of way. All right, so now here's what I want us to see because this is, um, this is really huge. I want you to go with me to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. A lot of times um, it's easy to forget when we're looking at uh, the Old Testament, for example, that we're actually reading one book and there's one big story being told. And to put it a little more um, be a little more direct, that the, that the Old Testament testimonies, the stories that we have and so forth, what is happening there is Christ is being proclaimed one way or another throughout the Old Testament. Jesus makes that clear himself. John 5 and then I think in Luke 21 as well where he refers to the Old Testament as speaking of him. And then you have passages, like I mentioned a moment ago, in Galatians where Paul says that the gospel was actually preached to Abraham. This is Galatians um, 3, verse 8. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, um, very important side note here. Notice how Paul speaks of Scripture. Verse 8, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, he makes it sound like he's talking about a person who foresees something, foreknows something, and that's because in a sense he is. In other words, he's, he's not distinguishing here, and, this, and again, this, this is hugely important. Paul is not distinguishing what the Scripture says from what God says. In other words, he sees the Scripture as God speaking, so much so that he can say the Scripture foreseeing, meaning that God foreseeing speaks through the Scripture about these things. But he can just kind of shorthand it and say the Scripture foreseeing. And then he goes on to say, again, verse 8, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached so not only does the Scripture foresee, but the Scripture preached. <laughs> it, it, it was proclaiming something. And that's the idea behind that word there, preached, like a, like, a, uh, like a town crier, a herald. The Scripture foreseeing heralded the good news beforehand to Abraham. It Foreseeing and beforehand proclaiming. 
the good news to Abraham. Saying, here's what the scripture was saying, and here, um, here Paul quotes from Genesis 12, in you, saying, in you, that is in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. Now there is the gospel summed up. All the nations of the world, and I think what is meant by that, and that kind of terminology is used repeatedly in Scripture, and, and I, if I, can, I would paraphrase it this way, all people groups, because when, when he's talking about nations, the, the word behind it is where we get our word ethnicity or ethnic. He, he's not talking about um, nations the way we think of nations. In other words, he doesn't mean Germany, United States of America, France. He's not talking about geographical borders. He's talking about ethnic groups, peoples, plural with an S, peoples, people groups. And, and the meaning, of course, there is that this is the one way by which all people groups will be blessed through this seed of Abraham. The, the, the one way is through Abraham's seed. So again, verse 7, know, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's important. We'll come back to that in a moment. Those of faith, that is, that is just those who believe. Believe. Those who believe. Those who believe. Implied there, in the true and living God. Those, those who believe or trust in the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, those who believe are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith all non, term Gentiles, all non-Jews. So again, it's talking about all the nations of the world. Not, not Paul's idea here is not just Jews, because in in the first century, um, I mean that's the context this is written in. They would have thought of themselves as being the only ones who God would bless and save. And so, when the reason the, the New Testament keeps using this kind of terminology about all nations, you know. The inclusion of the Gentiles, all peoples, every tribe, kindred, tongue, nation. The reason that kind of terminology is used is to show that salvation goes out not to Jews only. It includes the Jews, but not to Jews only, but to all peoples. And so the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that is through believing... Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, how, how, did, how is that the gospel? When we think of the gospel, we think of salvation through Jesus Christ, right? It, the gospel is the message about Jesus Christ. That, and, and it's another summation of the gospel that just about everybody's familiar with in our culture, is John 3.16. God 
loved the world in this way, that He sent His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him or trusts in Him should not perish but have eternal life, right? So there's the Gospel. Well, we, we read Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all the way up through 21 where we are. How, how can Paul say the Gospel was preached to Abraham? And by the way, notice he does say beforehand. <laughs> did, did the Scripture somehow include, maybe somewhere in the middle of Genesis 12 or 13, was John 3.16 inserted in there, you know, back there? No, no. But the Gospel was, just, it just worded differently and with um, less light. In other words, it's not as fully revealed, but revealed nonetheless. So what is Paul talking about? The Scripture proclaimed the Gospel beforehand to Abraham. Well, he tells us what he's talking about. Saying, here's what the Scripture said, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, that is those who believe, specifically here he's talking about those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now let's go down a little bit further. Look at um, look at verse fifteen. And I'm having to skip over some really good stuff here, but I just I'm just trying to make a main point. So so verse fifteen, um, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one knows it or adds to it. Now verse sixteen. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, or your translation may say seed, um, or descendant. Any, any of those work. DSV uses the word offspring. A lot of times you'll hear me say seed. The promises were made to Abraham and to his seed, or offspring. It does not say, that is, Scripture does not say, and to Seeds are all springs, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. And that is interesting. You go back and read Genesis, um, and of course, if you're, and that is the case. I mean, you know, in the case in the Hebrew, it's reflected in our English translations. Seed, singular, not plural. And you say, well, what's the big deal? A lot of times we use singular words like that to describe a whole, and that's true. Scripture does that as well. But, uh, but it, it, I would suggest here, um, and I'm doing this based on what Paul says. It's not just my suggestion. But I would suggest here, based on what Paul says, that it, that it has a, a dual function. So we do know from Genesis 12, 15, 17, and so forth, that in one sense he was talking about many. He said your seed is going to be multiplied. It's going to be like the sand, grains of sand on the seashore or the stars. In the sky, so it has that fulfillment coming. God is promising that. But there's even a greater fulfillment that, that has to happen for that to happen. There's there's an ultimate fulfillment to that prophecy. In other words, when God promised Abraham seed, 
singular, ultimately, it was a reference to Jesus. And Paul makes that point. And he makes it by pointing out that the word there is not plural but singular. And to your offspring, look at verse 16, to your offspring who is Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? God is speaking to Abraham and says, through your seed all nations will be blessed. And Paul is looking back on that and he's saying that was talking about Jesus. And you say, well, we go back and we read that, and it seems like it was talking about Isaac. And in fact, that's, that's what I just said a little while ago. Wasn't it? We were looking at chapter 21, and I said a promise kept. God promised Abraham a seed. Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah. God kept his promise. Well, that's because that is true. And it was referring to Isaac as an immediate fulfillment. But it also has an ultimate fulfillment. And so, ultimately, it's Christ. Because ultimately, it's not Isaac that will bless all the nations of the world. Now, you could say, in a sense, it's through him, because it's going to be, just like with Abraham, it's going to be one of his descendants. But who is the seed, singular, through whom all nations of the world will be blessed? It is Christ, and that is what Paul is saying in verse 16. The seed is Jesus, Christ. Now let's skip skip down a little bit more. Verse 26, because I'm going to give you another little application here. Um, Verse 26, For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. So, again, here's the dual fulfillment. Or now we may have to say triple. Because there was an immediate natural fulfillment. Isaac is born. And then eventually that whole family just multiplies and multiplies into a huge nation and so forth. And so you've got a physical people, an ethnic group, we refer to as Jews, that are like the grains of sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, the innumerable, right? But there's also a spiritual application or fulfillment. And that's what Paul is honing in on here. And if I can just kind of summarize it real quick, what he's saying is the true seed of Abraham The true offspring of Abraham. Let me say it that way. The ones who are going to be blessed by God and be a blessing to all nations and the ones who are going to be innumerable, made up of all nations, I should say it that way, who are they? They are those who are not Not those who are physically descended from Abraham, but those who have the faith of Abraham. In other words, they believe on the one true 
and living God. And that's where Paul has gone with this. And that's why he says in verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It's through believing. In other words, you don't receive the blessings of Abraham, the inheritance of Abraham, because of your physical lineage. My wife is a Jew, but she doesn't uh, ethnically, but she doesn't receive the blessings of Abraham because of her physical lineage, her genealogy, her DNA. She re- receives the blessings of Abraham because of her faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And it's through faith in Christ that not only Jews, but all nations become sons of God. Trying to make sure I'm not <clears throat> looking over something here that I don't want to miss that I don't want to skip. So, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And all he's simply saying there is that we all come to Christ and we all enjoy the blessings of the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so we all have um, equality in terms of salvation. You're not better if you're a Jew, you're not better if you're a man or something like that. In, in, in the kingdom of God, there's no, um, in terms of, of um, inheriting the, the blessings of salvation, there's no male or female, there's no slave or free, there's no Jew or Greek, and so forth. And verse 29, and if you are Christ, that is, if, in other words, if you belong to Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, if you know Jesus, because again, remember, He's the seed, capital S. He's the seed. The promised seed. He's the heir, capital H. So if you are Christ, and that is the real issue, do you belong to Christ? Does Christ know you? If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? So he's saying Christ is the seed capital S, singular, that the promise was made to and through whom the promise is ultimately fulfilled. But also, you, who are, you believers, you are the offspring of Abraham if you belong to Christ. Because if Christ is the seed of Abraham and therefore heir to the promises that were made to Abraham, then we are also heirs because we belong to Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise, or according to promise. So, bottom line, (laughs) it's not about your accomplishments, it's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your drive, your power of will, or something like that. It is about whether or not you 
believe. Now, here's the thing. God has promised to reconcile. This, this, this is his, his salvation um, plan, in kind of in a nutshell, to reconcile the world to himself in Christ. Not, not that every single part, person is going to be saved, but that everybody who is saved throughout the world will be saved the same way. That is through faith in Christ. And so that's, that's the promise. Through your seed, Abraham, that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's the one way of salvation. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way to God. And God has not only made that promise of salvation through Christ, but God has fulfilled it. And so just like He promised a child to Sarah at an appointed time, He also spoke in time past of a child who would be born at an appointed time. And here in Galatians, Paul tells us, at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And why did God do that? To save sinners. It's a promise made and it's a promise kept. Believe God. Listen, He has not only protected His promises, making sure that they come, come to pass down through the ages, but... In, in doing that, He is providing salvation for His people. Believe God. Or, to say it another way, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Would you stand, please? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And, Lord, for Your will and power to bring Your Word to pass. Thank You for Your grace and determining to save sinners. And we're so grateful, Lord, that with You all things are possible so that You not only desire to do something, but You are able to bring it to reality. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know You in truth as Lord and Savior, we're asking now that You penetrate the heart. Open blinded spiritual eyes to Your salvation. Grant repentance. Grant faith. And Lord, for all in the room who do know You. Hopefully that's all of us. But we still need, day by day, we still need to trust You, to believe You, to understand and live accordingly. Your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so even when we think of in terms of sanctification and final glorification, Lord, enable us to trust in You. Believe You. 
for your glory. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We're dismissed.